Well, we've been in a series with uh, Ken and Barbie recently uh, called No Perfect People Allowed, and uh, hopefully that describes you and me, um, most likely does, right? Uh, and the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15, uh, and the idea is that there were uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law who didn't like the company that Jesus kept. Um, ever been there? Maybe high schoolers feel that way sometimes with their parents. Uh, but uh, they weren't too happy with the company that Jesus kept. In fact, they, the folks he was spending time with were sinners and tax collectors. And they muttered. And uh, Jesus told three stories in response to the muttering. And for the first week, we talked about how uh, if we're going to be a church that welcomes everyone uh, and welcomes uh, imperfect people, uh, we need to, to uh, extend God's grace to people. Uh, and in order to do that, we have to personally have experienced God's grace first. And so in order to welcome people, uh, to spend time here and to be near us, uh, folks who are nothing like Jesus, um, we need to be gracious people. We need to be a gracious church. We need to have a, a culture of grace, be a community of grace. Uh, the following week, uh, I tried to unpack some of that tension that we experience sometimes in that if we are this totally nice, gracious place, then, then there's going to be folks who show up with some mess in their life. And the, the tendency is to not uh, expect anything of people sometimes, or at least that's what it would be, uh, it would feel like. And there's this tension between acceptance and approval. And accepting somebody doesn't mean that we approve of their behaviors and approve of how they're living their life. It just means that we accept them and love them for who they are and how God, uh, who God made them to be. And, and so we talked about this idea between cheap grace and costly grace that Bonhoeffer uh, talks about in his book, Cost of Discipleship. And so today we're going to shift gears a little bit uh, and we're going to... Uh, unpack the second part of the statement that I love. And the statement is no perfect people allowed. Um, uh, everybody's welcome, but don't, uh, or excuse me, come as you are, uh, but don't stay that way. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. And, and I think when we see how Jesus handles people, they come as they are, uh, but over time they change. Well, before this morning's message, let us uh, bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, I've been at this Christian thing for quite a long time. Uh, my first week in, sun, in church, as many of you have heard from me, was my first week alive on planet Earth, and I haven't stopped going for whatever reason. Uh, and now I'm paid to be here, so it works out pretty well. Uh, <laughs> it's like my little phrase, um, I'm paid to be good, you're just good for nothing. Uh, so anyways, I don't know about you, but I've been involved in church world a long time. 
And I've been coming to churches and working at churches and, and not just showing up on Sunday mornings, but really trying to immerse myself in the life of a local church. And my family did that at the first church of the first assembly of God in Denver, Colorado that I grew up at until I was about fifth, sixth grade. And, and we went every Sunday morning and then we returned. And by the way, this was a 30 minute drive in Denver traffic, um, 30 minutes to church on Sunday mornings. And we went home and then we came back for the evening service. And then we also showed back up on Wednesday nights for church on Wednesday nights. Did anybody else grow up with that kind of a churchy schedule? Yeah. Uh, We went every time the doors were open. And as a kid, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church and I didn't like it. And it was not the most fun thing. And it was frustrating to go sometimes. But now I look back and I thank my parents I thank them for dragging me to church. I thank them for having me there. I thank them for making sure that I understood the value of a Christian community, a church community in life. Um, As I got in my teenage years, we switched gears and we went to a whole different church. Uh, We went to a first, or excuse me, not a first church. We went to a community church, Cherry Hills Community Church, which was a Presbyterian church. And there I struggled with whether I was a Christian or not because we no longer had altar calls on Sunday mornings. And I wrestled with that because that's where I got to meet Jesus every week and clean up my life as a fifth or sixth grader. Um, every week I went down and, you know, because I was convinced the dump truck was going to hit me when we got out of church because the preacher had one message. And the one message to the same 250 people was, if the dump truck hits you, will you go to heaven? And I was convinced I had done something bad that week and I was going to get hit and I was going to die. In fact, I've pictured it happening out on federal right in front of the church. And uh, it would just been smart never to cross the street. I never figured that part out. I just thought, you know, uh, I got to pray and ask Jesus back into my life. And so every week I was going down to accept Jesus again and to do my business with Jesus. And then we got into this church that didn't do that. And I remember specifically asking my mom, are we still Christians? Because <laughs> I was really concerned. I was really worried that, are we still Christians? Because they do things differently. For one, uh, nobody spoke in tongues at the new church. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't speak in tongues because I was too young. I tried. It sounded like the chef from the Muppets. But uh, <laughs> that, that was kind of how it worked for me. But uh, we didn't speak in tongues at the Presbyterian Church. And so uh, that was a little new. And they did these strange things. Like at, the, at some point in the middle of the service, everybody stood up and sang the doxology without having to be coached. It's like, you know, at my church, we said, would you please stand and let's, you know, and here is like, you're just kind of minding your own business. You just gave money into the plate and then all of a sudden the organ plays and everybody stands up. And that was new to me. I had never experienced that. Um, And it was strange. In fact, our first Sunday at that church, the person next to us found the doxology in the hymnal. Did you know the doxology is in the hymnal? They found it and gave it to us. So we're like, Huh? What? I later came to realize that that is the oldest hymn in the English language. And the guy who wrote it uh, was imprisoned for writing it. He was imprisoned in England for writing this hymn in English. Uh, Anyways, uh, I didn't understand what we were doing. And then the preacher got up and he was engaging. He was interesting. I still remember some of the points of his first sermon that I ever heard from him. 
he talked about dinosaurs, which I had never heard a preacher talk about dinosaurs before. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. And, and he ta- somehow related that to Jesus. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I actually, over the course of my high school years, started to take my Bible and started taking a notebook. And I started to take notes from my preacher, from my pastor, Jim Dixon. And to this day, I still listen to Dr. Dixon regularly um, on his church's podcast. And he's had a profound influence on my life. But as I look back on my life and I look at how I'm living today and I look at the progress I have made in this thing called the Christian life, I sometimes scratch my head. I sometimes wonder, how come I'm not more mature than I am? Sometimes I scratch my head and I go, where did all that anger towards my wife or my kids just come from? I sometimes wonder, where did that thought that when I saw the Sports Illustrated this month come from? And I quickly bounce my eyes away, and then there's another thing to bounce my eyes away from, and then I finally show up in the bakery aisle, and it's safe to look there. Because there's nothing there. I mean, (laughs) empty shelves. That one was free. That was not in my notes at all. I sometimes wonder, why did I feel the need to kind of fudge on the truth with that person to make myself sound a little better than I am? Why didn't I just come out and say what really happened or what I was really thinking? I sometimes wonder, how come I'm not a better dad than I am? Why is it that I, I, I let time go by now that my kids are, are fast, they're growing up so quick, and soon people will be driving in my house. Soon they will not want to spend time with me at my house. And I wonder sometimes, why am I not a better dad? I wonder sometimes, how come my emotional health isn't better? Why do some things just set me off and irritate me? Why do some people irritate me. I wonder sometimes, how come I'm such, I have such little faith that things are going to turn out okay? Why is there times that I fret and I worry when I get the checkbook out and I start to go through the finances? Why are there times? Why are there times where somebody says, would you please give some money to this? And I think, oh, that'd be great to give money to that. And then I think, oh, but I can't because of the thing with the other deal that I want to do. And I don't know about you, but there's times I just look at myself and I think, grow up, stupid. Sometimes I feel like, why can't I I make more progress? Why is it so hard to be who I know I'm supposed to be? Why is it so hard to, to, to be a person of faith, to be a person that always tells the truth, a person who never lusts, a person who is always content in Jesus, a person who can actually sing the words, I surrender all to Jesus and not lie? Why, why is that so hard? I mean, I've been at this thing. I turned 44 later this month, one of my favorite numbers. I'm not so excited about the age, but... I like I liked Floyd Little, so 44. There you go. Why haven't I gotten further down the road? Now, let me switch gears. Sometimes as your pastor, 
Did everybody wear steel-toed boots today? Sometimes as your pastor, I sometimes, I'm on the sidelines and I watch and I observe and I see and I hear and I notice. And I, there's times I wonder, how come, how come they're not further down the road? I mean, I've been here at this thing for 10 years now. And there's times I go, I'm pretty sure I preached a message on that one. Yeah, it's on the podcast. You can hear it. And there's times I think, here, this is what you need to do. Take this and put it in the car and listen to it until the CD dies. And that's the answer to your problem. That's the answer to your... There's times I look out and I go, ooh, they're struggling too. Notice I said, you're struggling too, because I'm, I am a fellow struggler. And we all wrestle with not being who we believe God wants us to be, don't we? We all struggle with, when we look back a year or two years, or three years, or five, or if we take a really long view, 10, 15, and we go, boy, I'm doing some of the same things now that I was doing 15 years ago. And sometimes it makes us wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> I asked myself, myself this question, myself this question the other day. Does this Christian thing work? Does this Bible thing work? Does this God thing work? And I know that it's really easy because sermons that have all the answers are really easy sermons to give. And they're easy to give with conviction because you're able to walk out of here and go, man, that was really good. I just got to try harder. I just got to do that and it'll be fantastic. But at the end of the day, I go back home and I go, I don't even believe what I just said. Because if I believed it, I would do it. And you know who's often the one at the door waiting to share with me that you don't believe what you just said. (laughs) She doesn't say it that way, but there's other ways it comes out. And now my kids are listening and they're smart enough to go, dad, you don't really believe what you said this morning. I'm like, shh, don't tell anybody. You're eating tomorrow, depends on it. What are we to do when transformation is so hard? I mean, it's easy to accept people as they are because we all need this grace. We all need to be accepted. We all need, like, Cheers, that TV show. We need the place where everybody knows our name. And when we walk in, it's like, Norm, you know, and you take your seat. But nobody really speaks truth into Norm's life because Norm's just there. And if you don't know the references, I'm sorry. Nobody speaks truth in his life. He's just one of the guys One of the gals. And sometimes it's really hard to speak the truth. I mean, when you go home and you talk to your wife about other people, you're talking the truth then. You know what would really work for them is if they were to do this. You know what they need to do is they really need to get their act together. You know one thing that I'm thinking about those folks? If they would do this like we did, then, I mean, we do that, right? But we don't say it to them. When we see them, it's like, hi, (laughs) And I wonder, why is this transformation thing so hard? And how do we do it? And then I read the Bible. And I come across this one verse that as a pastor helps me immensely. It's a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. And it simply says this. It's the Apostle Paul. And he says, I, the Apostle Paul, planted the seed. Apollos watered it. 
but God has been making it grow. And as your pastor, there are times I wrestle with, are we growing? Am I growing? How's this thing working? I don't understand how this works. And then I read this verse and I'm like, it's God who is making it grow. Can I just tell you how much relief I feel when I read, read that passage? It's not my sermons that make it grow. It's not being here for an hour on Sundays that make it grow. Though those things help, that's the next part of the message. Um, It's not those things that make it grow. It's God that makes it grow. You see, my job is to help with the soil part. Create soil that you can grow in, but it's up to God to grow you. Now, that seems nice and cool, and now I can wash my hands of it, right? Cool, God's growing me, so if I'm, you know, still 15 years old spiritually and I'm 44, it's God's fault, not mine. (laughs) Well... The Apostle Paul writes some other stuff in the Bible. And there's this passage in Galatians, which is our main text this morning. And in Galatians chapter 5, in the whole book of Galatians, Paul is trying to convince his readers that they are free in Christ. That they are set free of sin and death and the flesh in Jesus Christ. And not just that, they are also free from religion. They're free from religious practice like the Jewish people. Uh, one of the things that was holding up some of the men from becoming Christians was this concern of a minor surgery. And none of them wanted it. It's called circumcision. And, and one of the questions they had asked the Apostle Paul, do we have to be circumcised or can we just believe in Jesus? And they all sat around waiting anxiously for that answer. And Paul said, you're free in Christ. You don't have to have that minor surgery. You're free from the Jewish law. You can eat pork and baby back ribs and bacon. You can do that stuff. You can eat shrimp. Uh, You don't have to, you know, worry about mixed fabrics. You You can use different fabrics on your clothing. You don't have to, you know, let your beard grow. You can be a clean shaven man and still love God. You don't have to wear a little hat or a little box in front of your face. You don't have to have the long curly hair. You don't have to have a prayer shawl on you. You don't have to make your food kosher in a certain way. You are free in Christ, says Paul. Now, as soon as people sometimes hear they're free, they think, oh, cool, I can do anything I want. Anybody do that? And Paul understands that that's what we think. Paul understands we think like that. That the next move for many of us is going to be like, cool, if I'm free in Jesus, then I'm free to do whatever I want. And Galatians 5 is written in response to that kind of thinking. And he basically says, yes, you're free in Christ to do anything you want. You are in Christ, anything you want. However, there's many things that you're free to do that are not profitable, not helpful, not going to help move you down the field towards the goal line. And some of them are actually works of the flesh, is what he calls them. So read with me in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. (laughs) That's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, that is a huge statement. So I say, 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. And you read that and you go, oh, okay, that's the answer. Cool. Uh, How do I do that exactly? Because we know how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, don't we? There's not even a class on it, and people figured it out. There's no, I have never once seen a class, how to satisfy the desires. People just innately figure that out. They show up on planet earth and it's like, hey, you know what I can do really well? I can sin. (laughs) I can gratify the desires of my sinful nature. I can say this is mine and no, you can't have it and get away from me and I hate you and you're irritating and you're in my way and I'm angry. And no, I didn't say all those things. I love you. You're wonderful when they're in front of us. We just know how to do that. It's natural. But when Paul says walk by the Spirit, he knows he has to unpack this. He has to explain this for us because it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't. It's contrary to our nature. And so the rest of this, that's like a heading for what he's writing about. And the rest of this explains this. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel a war inside of you? That what you naturally want to do is not what Jesus would want you to do. Anybody ever feel that? Or is it just me? Maybe it's just me or maybe it's really cold and you're not thinking yet. There's times, though, that I just think, boy, I just ought to... And I'm like, I never saw Jesus punch a person in Scripture. Boy, I just need to let them have a... You know, I never saw Jesus just lay into somebody and it got personal and nasty. And so he says, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, the Jewish law, the old Testament law. And then he gets a little specific for us. And this might make you wiggle and get uncomfortable. And for that, I do apologize. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're so obvious. He has to give us a list. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. (laughs) Man, if you have a black marker, just, you know, put some brackets around that in your Bible. That is an ugly list. But does that list come naturally? I mean, do you read that and you go, yeah, I know what that's like. I know what sexual immorality looks like. And not just do I know what it looks like. I've I've been in that. You know what that means? You know what that feels like? Or impurity. You ever ever woken up in the morning or or later in the day and just felt like, can't believe what I did last night. That's just, ugh. I feel so ashamed, so impure. Uh, You ever felt idolatry where you take something good in life and you make it your ultimate thing? I mean, this can be great things like family. Your family can become an idol because it takes the role and place that Jesus was meant to take in your life. 
or material possessions and stuff and you just want more and more and more and you accumulate more and more stuff and you just want it and it gives you standing in the community. It gives you security because when something happens, you know you've got your stuff. And you're depending on that instead of Christ. And we know that because we just do that naturally. As Tim Keller says, the human heart is an idol factory. We just churn out idols all the time. It's what we do naturally. Yeah, you, you ever had hatred for somebody? <laughs> That's a word that gets thrown around in our house a little too often sometimes with the kids, and we're quick to try to kibosh that, right? But there's times, I hate you. And it just comes out of us naturally. Dissension, factions, Envy, you have something I wish I had. Wish I had a car like that. Wish my spouse was that way. Wish my bank account was like that. I mean, all these things just come naturally. None of us took a class in this. Then he says this. This is where the come as you are but the don't stay that way part meet. Because come as you are is that list you just heard. <laughs> right? It's come as you are. But here's the don't stay that way. Here's the motivation for not staying that way. Paul says this, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, brother, it's one of those turn or burn kind of things. Now, think about it this way. It's very interesting to think about it like this, because if these things are not part of the kingdom of God, it would make sense that you would be excluded from the kingdom of God, doesn't it? I mean, if you're living a life that's completely contrary to the ways of God, wouldn't it make sense that he'd be like, oh, you don't want anything to do with the kingdom, so later? I mean, God's just being consistent he's giving you free will and he's letting your free will play out for eternity because if you live this life saying i want to live however i want and i don't want to listen to you and i don't want to listen to anybody god's going to be like cool man you can live that way forever but guess what unlike your life here where god's grace and his His mercy causes it to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. In the life to come, God's presence will be withdrawn from those who don't want to live in his presence. Therefore, it makes sense that it will never reign on the unrighteous. Because it is God's grace that causes it to reign. Therefore, it makes sense that all the good gifts that come down from the father of the heavenly lights, as we read in James, will not be poured out upon those in the life to come who choose to live apart from God. And if you don't really get your head around what are some of the gifts that the father of heavenly lights gives us and think about those blessings and those good things, then you've got to think life without those things is going to be miserable. A word that we use to describe that life is hell. A word that Jesus used to describe that life is Gehenna, the city dump. 
I don't know of anybody that's tried to homestead out on the Yuma dump site. But God is saying to us, and the Apostle Paul is warning us, that if we do not choose to live in a different way, then we're making our home in the dump. And we will be excluded from the kingdom of God. You'll get your heart's desire. You will. Do you want to be part of the kingdom of God or don't you? It's your choice. Now that's some big time motivation, isn't it? To, 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 to stop this list of the works of the flesh. Because he doesn't make it sound like it's okay if you fudge every once in a while. Right? I didn't, I didn't see that in my Bible. Okay, five times and you're in. <laughs> okay, 10 times. All right, 15 if you insist. He says, I warn you, if you live this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I hope there's some good news somewhere in this. I guess we should keep reading. But the fruit of the Spirit. Do you notice how he's, trans, he, he's contrasting these two? Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. How hard do you think it is for an apple tree to grow an apple? You think it works hard at that? You think the apple tree goes, come on, I need an apple. Let's do this thing. I mean, it just happens, right? I have never once seen an apple tree grunting, moaning, trying to get this thing done. It just happens. I've seen neglected apple trees grow apples. I've seen crab apple trees on the sides of streets grow Billions of crab apples. It's like they don't even try. Now, the contrast is important because the works of the flesh, Paul is saying, this is work. This takes effort. This takes intentionality. You do this on purpose. You choose to do this. The fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, goes along with that verse we read earlier, that God is the one that makes it grow. God's the one that makes it grow. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that may not seem like an enticing, exciting list to you, I mean, especially compared to the other one we just read, right? I mean, for some people. But could you imagine if every time you made a decision, you felt good about it? Could you imagine that every time that you felt some fear quickly, it was followed by peace? Could you imagine every time that your kids were a little late from curfew and you're thinking, ah, they're dead in a ditch somewhere, but you still had this joy in your heart? I mean, could you imagine what it would be like to, to feel like you could do what needs to be done because you have self-control now? I mean, the benefits of this list are huge. It's as big, if not bigger, than the detriment of the other list we just read. 
I mean, these are huge benefits, and you will just, you will be so blessed if this list becomes true of you. The man that we're reading this book about, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he died when he was 39 years old, and the last two months of his life were spent in a horrible concentration camp under the Nazis. He didn't write, or at least anything he wrote, we do not have records of, but there were others who wrote and survived that camp, and they wrote about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you know what they said? Do you know what they said about a 39-year-old man? They had never seen such peace and joy and faith and love in anyone. And here he is, down in the dumps, in this horrible camp. They could be killed at any moment. They are suffering from from, from cold and from hunger every single day. And his roommates in the prison <laughs> say, wow, there's something different about this guy. They noticed it. It had a, 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 it had a, a contagious difference. And the things they described were the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I hope Paul gives us some ideas how to make this grow in us. Because if you're like me, you want to see this grow. You want to see more of this in your life. You want to be a more loving person. You want to be more self-controlled. You want to be more faithful. You want to be gentle. You want to be peaceful, joyful. He says this. These things can't be legislated or against such things there is no law. And I like to translate that as these things can't be legislated. You can't make people do these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. (laughs) Have you? Have I? Have we crucified the flesh and its sinful desires? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When I was in junior high and high school, our our, our schools had marching bands. The middle school marching band, I went to Isaac Newton Middle School in Littleton Public School System, and our colors were, as much as I hate to say this, red and white. Now, the saving grace of how goofy we looked was when we marched, we had, we, our pants were white and we had white suspenders. And for the shirts, it was this red, like Pizza Hut, uh, you know, tablecloth plaid thing going on. And then we had little brother toppers on, little white hats with an N on it. And it was just funny. I mean, we looked like goofballs. And here we are marching. Uh, and one of the first things you learn in marching band. Keep in step. I mean, you know, you're, you stand like this and you're marching and, you're, and the director's like blowing a whistle. Then you start walking forward and the drums are playing. And we had this cool song we played. We played On Broadway by George Benson. That was our marching band song. We always played that. We played in the Parade of Lights. In downtown Denver, we decorated our horns. We had a lot of fun. But you always kept in step with the people next to you in the line that you were in. And then when we got in high school, we did a halftime show. 
And we would make little configurations on the field and we would, you know, walk around. And, you know, one of the first lessons we learned with making field configurations in band was keep in step with the people next to you. Keep with them, walk around. You know, I mean, it was like, oh, I hate marching band. I hated it. I'm more of a jazz soul. We had marching band, and we played, and we walked, and we marched, and we kept in step. And if we didn't get in step, it was like, see what you're doing? You're completely out of line. And blah, 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 blah. I think God had me in marching band for a reason, though, because it illustrated this passage for me. <laughs> because when I think and read this passage, I realize it's kind of like the Holy Spirit, who's called the paraclete in Greek, the, the one who comes alongside He comes alongside you. And the idea is you keep in step with him when he's alongside you. So we're marching and we're walking with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now there's times the Holy Spirit goes over there. So where am I supposed to go? And there's times he goes this way, and I'm supposed to go that way. And there's time he walks forward, and then there's times he backs up, and then we turn around and we go that way. And then there's other times I go, this marching stuff's hard. Later. (laughs) And that's when I fulfill that first list. But when I keep in step with the Spirit, that's when I produce fruit of the Spirit. It can't help but happen because I'm walking with the Spirit. You see... This spiritual life thing, this Christian life thing, this Jesus life is simple. (laughs) If you want it, do it. Keep in step with the Spirit. So here's my takeaway for you this morning. What I'd love for you to do is take those two lists. The works of the flesh list. And the the, the fruit of the Spirit list. And I want you to keep those lists in front of you. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. What do you think God is trying to do in your life right now? I mean, as you look at those two lists, which of those you know, works of the flesh jump out at you and go, ooh, I got some work to do on that one. And then how do I do that? And how do I, well, keep in step with the spirit. Figure out where the spirit's going. It's kind of like sailing. Every, anybody ever been on a sailboat? You have to put the sails up to catch the wind. And if you don't catch the wind, you're just sitting there. And some of your spiritual lives are like that. You're just sitting there. And you need to make a decision to hoist the mast and to catch the wind. To keep in step with the Spirit. What do you think God is trying to do in your life right now? The second one I want you to consider. If there's one area in loving God or loving people or building character or building Christ's church you need to focus on right now, what would it be? What is it that you sense God is moving you to do? Who he's moving you to be? And the third question. What's one thing you intentionally do this week to allow God to grow you up in this area? One thing. What's one thing you will do this week? Pretty simple. And I would encourage you to keep those questions in front of yourself. And you know what's even better? Find a running partner. You know what a running partner is? It's a person who runs with you. 
Find somebody, because spiritually we need running partners just as much as we need physical running partners. When you want to get in shape, it always goes better. When you find some other people who are like, yeah, I'd like to get in shape too. And you all commit, hey, let's meet at the rack at 5.30 in the morning. And then when you don't show up, they text you and you're like, huh, what? What's going on? What? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do that. Because my running partner noticed I wasn't there. And with spiritual growth, it helps if you have a running partner and you're able to say, what do you think? What do you see in me? What do you think God's trying to teach me and do in my life? You see, spiritual growth is intentional. It happens completely and totally by God and his grace. But we have to be intentional and play our part. Will you keep in step with the spirit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us so much that you accept us just the way we are, the way you made us, and that your son, Jesus, stepped into this messy, ugly world, and he befriended people who were nothing like him, and that more than that, he died for his enemies, of which we were those people, and thank you that by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, for those who have accepted Christ, we can sense where you are moving and what you want to do in us and how you want us to live. And I pray we would be obedient and listen well. Help us to know how you want us to live our lives. May we produce this fruit by your grace. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you keep in step with the Spirit. Amen.